0: And Packers after dark. We are here. We are running. We are live. Welcome to the Game on Wisconsin roundtable discussion. One of my favorite days in the calendar. It's a little bit later than what we're used to, but we do have padded football practice today. So I figured we should kind of sit down and talk about it. So I've got some friends with me. I'm your host. I am Jacob Westendorf. You can follow me on Twitter at below. I've got Todd Varney with me. He's well, you know, he's here. I don't know if I'd call him a friend, but you could follow him. He's at the Todd V. Uh, you can find him on Lombardi's Bar every Wednesday. So tomorrow night we expect to see you guys inside the bar. And Todd, rumor has it you guys are opening up a second time this week.
1: Absolutely. Uh, five o'clock Lam- Lambo time. We are going to go live uh, with Ethan Bacon.
0: And that'll so be on Saturday. Saturday. Okay, yes. Yeah, so five o'clock Lambo time on Saturday. Have a, You start your drinks, start your dinner, and uh, let's have a little chat there. And then I have Ryan Bowman of Packers Worldwide, uh, the crassest Canadian you will ever meet, and that is what he said, not me. So, Ryan, how are we doing tonight? Doing great, man.
2: Thanks for having me on. Uh, excited to chat about some real football activities with pads and, and helmets, and I, I'm excited. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head. This is this is when it's finally year with you know, no more OTAs, which didn't exist, no more preseason, which also didn't exist. But finally, guys throwing the pads on and playing some football. So
0: I'm jacked. I can't speak for you guys, but I know that whenever the practice starts, all I'm doing is refreshing. My, well, unless my bosses are watching, in which case I'm diligently working. But if if they're not watching, then I'm refreshing my Twitter timeline constantly. And that is to see tweets from this guy, a man who needs no introduction, that's Andy Herman. You can follow him at Andy Herman NFL. Andy, the creator and owner of the Packaday podcast. I say that because I hear that every single morning on my phone and I made something similar and uh, tried not to sound too much like his, but Andy, welcome. Uh, thank you for taking some time to chat with us tonight.
3: Hi hey guys, thanks so much for having me. Excited to be here and I'm right there with you uh, they had the first team drill today with the pads on and you heard the pop and I was just in heaven because you heard the pop of football pads for kind of the first time and it was absolutely amazing. So I'm excited to chat about it. And again, thanks so much for having me, Jacob. Uh, kudos to you on your new endeavor. This has been awesome. You, bet you guys have been all absolutely killing it. So uh, honored
0: to be a guest today. Well, definitely couldn't do that without uh, some of your help, at least along the way. So I'm appreciative of that. I still, every time we do something together for some reason, I think I ask if that's a Notre Dame hat and you say yes, and I've got to figure out how to get you a new hat. It's It's not. not. No. Okay. Okay. Well, it looks dangerously close to one, so that's okay. It's It's not. It's It's a live lucky hat. Live lucky, not uh, Notre Dame. Okay. That's good to know then. Okay. So guys, the pads are on. So that's happy news. Uh, the Packers will practice uh, the rest of this week. I just saw a schedule today. They're at 1030, uh, essentially Tuesday or, well, today's Tuesday. So Tuesday through Friday. Uh, I don't remember if I saw they have a day off on Saturday, how that's going. But it's been kind of a, a cool experience to see the tweets and all the play-by-plays from practice. And then the Zoom uh, press conferences, that's been a little strange, I think. Uh, but it's it's been a little nice to see kind of that one-on-one If you will, I know obviously it's a bunch of people on a conference call, but Andy, have you been in on any of those calls? I I can't say I remember. Yeah, I have been prior to
3: practices starting. I was in on pretty much it, almost all of them. However, you know, it, it's a it's a little bit logistical uh, of a logistical issue for me personally, where I'm, you know, driving all the way to the practice. I kind of have to usually get back kind of as quickly as possible after, especially now going forward uh, during the work week and whatnot. So I'm kind of there and back. And uh, by the time I get back, usually the Zoom calls are mostly wrapped up, or I'm trying to kind of recap practice or something like that. So um, I've been kind of trying to listen to them on my way home uh, if I can get good enough reception and, uh, you know, not actually obviously be in the Zoom call to ask questions, but just on Packers.com or whatnot. So it's been a little bit interesting, a little bit unique, but uh, unfortunately hasn't worked out the best logistically for me to actually attend those so far.
0: That's fair. I, I do think it's kind of cool. And I wonder if maybe what your guys' thoughts are on this. Obviously they've had quite a few players cycle through. I don't know if since campus started, maybe Rogers, but I don't know if anybody's actually spoken more than once in one of those calls, but you know, they're not putting somebody in those zoom calls that they anticipate that they're going to cut here in a couple of weeks. So that's good news for you, Andy, because Tim Boyle spoke yesterday while you were on vacation. So of course, that seems to be just perfect, right? I'm surprised uh, they didn't throw Robert Tanyan in there while we were at it. And we'll, We'll get to those two here in a moment, but I mean, Todd, do you have any major takeaways from anything they've seen in those press conferences? I think mine is really just that Marquez Valdez Scantling spoke today, and like I mentioned, Todd, please don't put those sunglasses on. Okay,
1: it's <laughs> my my big takeaway is people were talking about it today. Our our defensive backs they've been playing fantastic, and I I love the the swagger that Jair brings to that group. Uh, you know, just to see him kind of be the only one um, kind of, you know, being a little eccentric on on a zoom call. Uh, he was at, you know, chattering a lot last year, you could see it in the secondary. Um, and, and I think bringing that fire to that group is, is going to be huge this year.
0: And let's jump into that right now then, guys, because Matt LaFleur talked about it today. He basically said that the group was very, very good, if not elite. Uh, and that E-word gets thrown around maybe a little too much sometimes, but especially with quarterback play in general. But it really is a group, if you look at it, Jair Alexander is on the precipice of being a star. Adrian Amos, not a playmaker not as good as HaHa ha Clinton Dix, obviously. But, I mean, still a very steady presence on the back end there. Kevin King led the team in interceptions a year ago and Darnell Savage is somebody that a lot of people really, really like uh, myself included. I said that as if I'm not in that group, but you know, I've talked about this somewhat recently in saying that, you know, if you really, if Jair Alexander and Andy, I'll start with you here. If Jair Alexander and Darnell Savage make that leap from Jair to, from very good to great and Savage from, rookie growing pains, flashes to good player. What is the ceiling for this, for this secondary?
3: Yeah. The ceiling is look the hell out, you know, that's, that's <laughs> right the, uh, for the defensive backs. You know, I, I love this defensive back group and the fact that, and I think, you know, I've talked about this previously, they have every different flavor of defensive back that they need in that, in that entire backfield. So you've got the the shorter shiftier guy in Jair who can move around in the slot left, right, doesn't matter. He can cover the, the best receiver on the team. You've got that guy you also have a Kevin King who can stand up and play against some of those more physical, bigger receivers, which, you know, if Jair is going to go one-on-one he can hang, but at certain points, the six, four dude is just going to have a, an innate advantage against the guy on Jair. And like I said, even then, it's not easy to complete a pass over the guy, but um, there's certainly some, uh, you know, logistical issues there when you've got that matchup, but Kevin King can step in and take those sort of situations I thought Shannon Sullivan played great a season ago in semi-limited action, but I think certainly enough where we can get a pretty good feel for who he is. Um, fits in really nice as a slot corner. We know what Josh Jackson can do as an off-cover you know, corner and uh, a little bit more in zone. I think he needs to kind of shore some things up. And then you talked about Savage. Amos had a phenomenal day today at practice. Both of those guys are super versatile. And then you got a guy like Raven Green who can play traditional safety, but he can also play in that box hybrid linebacker role. So, you've got all the flavors that you need to be successful. Now it's up to Jerry Gray. And and honestly, the players just to, to take the next step, but to to answer your question, Jacob, if, if Jair and Savage reach their, their ceiling and their potential um, the sky is the absolute limit for that defensive backfield. And then, you know, it's, it doesn't take uh, a ton of time for Z and Preston and Kenny to get home. If there's good coverage, like it's not like they're going to be on an Island for an extended period of time, Uh, that pass rush is going to get there. So if those guys are doing the work on the back end, it it has the ability to be uh, an entire defense that can work very well in harmony.
0: Todd, I know you've talked about it a few times on Lombardi's bar, but just kind of the year that Kevin King is coming into. And it really is of the, obviously we've talked about the Kenny Clark extension and I'll talk a little bit more about Kenny Clark here at the end of the show, but the Kevin King is one of those other free agents, if you will, you know, David Bakhtiari, Aaron Jones, Corey Lindsley, and then Kevin King is in that group as well. And his free agency case, if you will, is kind of the most fascinating one to me because right now the Packers could offer him a deal and it would be relatively modest to where the point it's probably better for Kevin King to bet on himself. If he does that and wins, then he probably becomes too expensive for the Packers to keep. If he does that and loses, then his free agency situation gets a little interesting. Does a team overpay him based on his 2019 season where he had five interceptions is he still an inconsistent player? But I mean, bad cornerbacks get paid all the time. So Kevin King's not a bad cornerback. I think that would be fair to say, but what's your kind of excitement level expectation level coming into this year for number 20?
1: I'm really high on him. I know he always kind of has the, the TJ Watt stigma that'll follow him around Wisconsin for as long as he's here. Um, but I think when he's healthy, he's shown, He's a really solid player uh, especially as as a number two you know like he likes to call himself the second number one um i I think he's fantastic out there um, and then adding in you know the belief that the organization clearly has in the other guys in that room with Shannon Sullivan and Kadar Holman to be able to step in and fill that role I mean obviously I'm, I'm sure there's been the conversation internally of if we need to get Tremont in here, we'll get Tremont in here. But I think, you know, they're, they're showing their confidence in that group right now by saying that these are the guys we're going to run with. Um, And, and uh, it'll be interesting to me. I, I think Josh Jackson's really a key guy in that group to see how he progresses this year. You know, he had such a significant drop off in snaps last year. I don't know if, if it was just, he's not a good fit. You know, like I've said before, schematically, or if there was an attitude issue, if, if, if he, you know, pissed off a coach or something along the way or, or what happened, but hopefully, you know, we can see him come in and, and kind of be that guy that, that people were hoping he would be when they, when they drafted him.
0: Yeah, definitely a fair question and a fair point there. Uh Ryan, you know, you mentioned some stuff about Josh Jackson earlier today. This really is, a, it's a big year for him. The issue that the, Packers, the disagreement, if you will, that I really think that they have between, and granted, who am I, but between myself as somebody who was really high on Josh Jackson coming out of Iowa versus how they've employed him essentially since he's come to Green Bay is they've played him kind of in that slot corner role. And that's really the only role at the moment that's open, if you will. I tend to think that the Packers best group, if Jackson is good is with him and King on the edges with Alexander moving inside and Chan and Sullivan, if they're going to play that dime role. Now, obviously that boundary corner position is more valuable, but is Jackson, is this, I mean, it's, it really is a make or break year kind of for him. There's already some speculation and granted, this is just speculation pieces, but maybe the Packers could look to trade him. I don't think that makes a whole heck of a lot of sense at this point, his value is kind of at an all time low, but can he be the player one, I guess, you know, we're kind of newly acquainted here, but were you high on him coming out of college? And can he be that player that they thought he was when they took him in the second round?
2: uh yes i yes to both i think i i was very high on josh jackson coming out of college i didn't want them to take him with the first round pick like a lot of the analysts were projecting him to be um you know i loved the jair alexander selection and when they got him in the second round i almost couldn't believe that a player of that value had dropped right into their hands so um, i think it comes down to how the packers have utilized him historically up until this point I I really don't feel like he's been put into the best position to succeed based on the skill set that he has. Andy touched on it earlier. He, He was in college primarily a zone cornerback. And I think if he was put into more positions that were, you know, reflective of that skill set, that he would be more successful. I I know that, you know, injuries have kind of slowed his progress, but towards the end of last year, he did, uh, you know, get some good snaps in and everything I'm hearing around camp is that he's having a pretty good start to training camp and, and had a pretty good day today as well. So can he be that player? Absolutely. Will he? I, I think that's going to largely depend on what kind of opportunities he gets. you Throw him in the slot and expect him to play as well as he can on the outside there. I, I don't think that's going to be the end result. Um, but, you know, if he shows up this year, it might make letting Kevin King walk be a little bit easier. Having, you know, somebody in the in the waiting to man the outside.
0: Yeah, and that's something that I didn't even think about earlier when I kicked over to Todd, but if Kevin King, a big answer to that potential question could be, does Josh Jackson play well? Does Kadar Holman step up? And the question that we really don't know the answer to is how do the Packers feel about the incoming cornerback class, which, I mean, the draft and college football and all that stuff, that's a completely separate, it's going to be one of the most difficult processes in maybe our entire lifetime. Andy, at the end of practice, Jackson had a ball that hit him between the numbers and he dropped an interception on, uh, in front of Devontae Adams. But Ryan did mention that he's had a pretty good start to camp. Is that, do you notice anything? Cause you were obviously at camp. Well, every year since as long as I can remember, but, um, you know, how is, how has he looked maybe compared to years past?
3: Yeah I mean I think he's looked good so far so obviously one of the tough things I've been at two of the three practices there's 80 guys out there so to try to kind of keep track of everything is you know near impossible but uh, he's made plays on a couple different balls the the play on the ball to end the end practice today um, would have been probably a sack Rogers kind of held it he kind of through uh to his left hand side and uh Jackson undercut it. Um probably a throw that Rodgers never makes in an actual game if we're being honest, but uh just kind of threw it out there so you know kind of see what happens and uh, Jackson was right there should have picked it off, kind of hit it in his hands and dropped it. Um you know, I kind of go back to, you know, to what you guys were saying earlier. You, you know, yes, he he is somebody that you know played prime, you know, primarily zone off coverage in college and I do not think as again you guys mentioned that he is going to be super successful in a slot corner role. You know, you look at the past two years, he's been asked to play slot corner and safety more than he's been asked to play outside corner role. And I think anyone would tell you that probably his best position is outside corner. But I also think at some point, um, you know, if you're going to be an outside man corner, you have to be able to play, you know, zone, you have to be able to play man, you do have to be able to motion and in inside, you know, you can't be a, a specialist at one sort of coverage, um, especially when you're going to be using, you know, Chandon and Jair and, you know, going back to last year, Tremont and a lot of man, man to man type situations as well. So, you know i think it's going to be up to josh to really you know prove that he can play in all different coverages play off play on play press play man you know whatever they want him to do i think that's going to be kind of his next step in his progression it's been a good camp so far again he hasn't had anything egregious he had um in one on ones today on his first one on one uh, matchup. He had a great PBU, uh, co- you know, perfect sticky coverage on the second one looked like he was kind of holding, I think it was EQ, uh, pretty much throughout the entirety of the route. So something I'll have to work on a little bit there. And then again, at the end of practice had the great pass breakup. So it's been good, but, uh, you know, he still has a ways to go before he shows that he's ready to kind of be that full-time corner in my
0: opinion. Definitely be something to monitor as camp moves forward just because, I mean, cornerback, we've seen it. You're an ankle roll away from starting yep. with Darius Gunter in an NFC championship game. I mean, not that that's ever happened before, but yeah, I mean, you can never have enough quality cover guys. Uh, that's kind of where some of the Kadar Hallman uh, and some of the younger guys towards the further back end of that depth chart makes things a little interesting here. Real quick, just want to touch on injury concerns um, on Travious Adams left field. To say he was carted off sounds like it's a little misleading. He limped off the field and then was on a cart on the way into get treatment. Sounds like the Packers have dodged a bullet there. Darius Smith left. Matt LaFleur kind of brushed it off and said, I'm not giving you guys any information anyway, so you can ask, but I'm not going to tell you. Sounds precautionary, and the same goes for David Bakhtiari. Uh, so that's really it. and That's really the one thing. Everybody wins the day. When We always want to talk about winners and losers when it comes to training camp practices, battles, and one-on-ones and all that stuff is fun. Everybody wins if nobody gets hurt. Uh, That's really the big thing is the football season is going to take your best players off the field anyways. That's just the nature of the sport. But having the ability to start the season with your preferred 22 is definitely a big start, guys. So he's here, so we've got to talk about it, guys. Bobby Tanyan and the Tim Boyle Laser Show. I got to give some credit because I definitely thought as soon as Jordan Love was drafted that that was the end of Tim Boyle's time here in Green Bay. Now, granted, the offseason being strange, which is one way to put it, uh, certainly one reason why uh, Jordan Love is, is kind of behind the curve. Everybody at this point, I'm sure, has seen the footwork video that has surfaced where he looks you know, significantly behind in that regard. You know, Andy, you've talked about in some weird uh, messaging that he's been – know swimming was one word that Matt LaFleur used and you could tell that he was thinking was something you said at his first day in practice but that being said even if Jordan Love was playing really well and looked really really comfortable Tim Boyle does too Uh, the highlight of the first day of camp was Boyle throwing a deep ball to Marquez Valdez Scantling for example that's one spot he threw uh, by all accounts a beautiful route and a beautiful pass to Jay Sternberger here to uh, on a corner route and Sternberger dropped it it should have been a an easy touchdown, but it wasn't Tim Boyle appears to be in the driver's seat for the backup quarterback position. And I made the joke earlier that Matt LaFleur called Robert Tanyan and Bobby. And it's very similar to when Mike McCarthy used to call Don Barclay Donnie. And it's if a, if a player has a nickname or a pet name or something like that, they're making the rosters. So <laughs> John Barclay made the roster way too many times in my life. Bob Tanyan, Bobby Tanyan is definitely making the roster. I don't think that's groundbreaking news. But, Andy, you discovered these two guys, I would like to think. So, you know, the Brian Gutekunst owes you a, a stipend or something, I think. But just what have you seen from Boyle early on? And Tanyan obviously taking first-team reps. that has got to be exciting that the Packers can have potentially – Three tight ends, if they trust Sternberger and Mercedes Lewis, I don't want to put too much on Deguara just yet, but three tight ends they can trust with this Lafleur system.
3: Yeah, no, I think that's 100% spot on. You know, with Tim Boyle, it's been really interesting to see him, and I'll, I'll say it right now, lock it in. He's the backup quarterback. I mean, the, the gap between Boyle and Jordan Love right now is monumental, and it's not it's not a knock on Love, and, you know, I posted that footwork video today. I actually have another video on his very first um, his very first drop back on the net drills today his footwork was just awry and he airmailed the pass and it ended up in the stands. It was ugly. It missed the net entirely. And I didn't even want to post it because I knew you know people people drilled them on just that little footwork, you know, video that I did. And I knew people would get on him even more on the uh, on the one where he missed the net entirely. Uh, but th- this is to be a million percent expected. And, and it's just, you know, every every pundit knew that you know, with Jordan Love, you know, going into this season that uh, it was going to take some time regardless. And then you take away OTAs, rookie mini camps, all of that stuff. It's one thing to get to know the playbook a little bit in zoom meetings and things like that, but to try to master fundamentals on your own, when you don't have those coaches there, when you're not in the quarterback, you know, meeting rooms uh, being able to discuss one-on-one directly when you're not being able to pick up on what Aaron and Tim are doing. um, I just think that that uh, it's going to be really hard for him to overcome, but you know, Tim has looked fantastic. And I think the thing that's been great is that he's looked better every single training camp, um, you know, that he's done this. And it's not a mistake. You know, training camp one, they trade away Brett Hundley so they can keep Boyle on the roster. Um, training camp two, they trade away Deshaun Kaiser, you know, so that they can keep Tim Boyle on the roster and put him as the backup quarterback. And now it seems that he's on his way uh, to outperforming uh, the their first round pick um, to make it uh, for the third straight season. So uh, a ton of kudos to him. And uh, it's been really exciting to see his growth. As far as Tanyan, you know, um, obviously, he was another player that I was really high on a couple years ago. I think, and I've said this a couple different times in a couple different mediums. But you know, you go back to when he first kind of came on the scene a couple years ago, He was making the transition from wide receiver to tight end. He looked really uh, swift on his feet. He looked like a, more of a receiving tight end. And I think you go back to the last couple of seasons, and I think with, you know, after Mercedes Lewis, we know Jimmy Graham couldn't block, you know, Jay Sternberger, you know, was kind of banged up to start next year you know, to start last season. Even he wasn't in a position to kind of be this big time blocking tight end. And I think you look at um, Robert Tanya, I think they needed him to put on weight the last couple seasons so that he could function as a blocking tight end. If anything would happen to Lewis, they just didn't have anyone else who could block it in any sort of capacity. So I think they asked him to put on weight. And when that happened, he was not as fleet of foot as a tight end. And I think I said all off season, they've got to figure out the the right weight, the right strength, everything for him, the right body type. And it seems like this off season, they've kindly, you know kind of figured that out and he looks much crisper in his routes as well. Um, had a really nice move today in practice that I, I forget who he put it on, but just a really simple route over the middle, but he executed it perfectly, caught a pass. And you can just tell that he and Aaron are on the same page as well. So two players that obviously I've, I've, you know, kind of been on for the last few years. And it seems like they're even putting it together more in the first practices so far.
0: Kind of the stories you really like too, is somebody like Tim Boyle, who, you know, really a nobody, if you will, coming out of college. Um, not anything, you know, undrafted fourth string you know behind Brett Hundley a guy that was drafted Deshaun guy- Kaiser a guy that they traded for and he's he's just kind of found a way to continue to stick around uh, maybe maybe he's the heir apparent no I'm kidding when I say that obviously but um Ryan we've talked about today friend of the show Matt Schneidman tweeted out uh the the, the phrasing was quote don't sleep on Robert Tanyan as tight end one and I thought it was interesting obviously I think we've all kind of penciled in Jay Sternberger with a sprinkle of Mercedes Lewis, but kind of based on what, you know, Andy has been saying Sternberger, the only play of note that he's made so far is a drop. And granted, I mean, we're not going to cut the guy or, you know, just the same way we're not putting somebody in the hall of fame. If he makes a one handed grab, I mean, Jimmy Graham made plays in camp and we all know that that didn't necessarily translate to on the field. Um, but what's your thoughts on this tight end room as a whole? Cause it really is, you know, Mercedes Lewis, we, Mercedes Lewis really is the only player that we know what he is, right? I mean, he's going to be a blocking tight end, maybe do some stuff in the red zone, catch some like broken plays in the passing game, but it's not like the Packers are going to scheme up a play for Mercedes Lewis. So what are your thoughts on this tight end room as camp continues to progress? And could we see maybe a surprise where Tanya is out there week one with the starters? I mean, it's certainly possible.
2: I I think that Matt LeFleur, from the very get-go, we saw him talk about this on the offensive line, and really with every position, maybe outside of quarterback at this point, it's gonna be a competition. Um, And when you have options like Bob Tanyan, Josiah Deguara, Mercedes Lewis, Jay Sternberger, I mean, it's wide open at this point for me. I think, you know, for Jay Sternberger, he was on that COVID injury list for a a little while. And I think what you're seeing as far as the one reps going to Bob Tanyan at this point might be just a a mechanism of easing uh, Jay Sternberger back into the swing of things that, you know, Lafleur is historically very cautious with his players when bringing them off of injury. So that that could be a factor, but I think it's a true opportunity. And I think, you know, Andy mentioned it. uh, Tanyan has come back and he looks different, right? Like his, his body type appears to have been kind of, tweaked uh to to be a little bit more of a physical player which i think the packers needed from him so you know do i expect him to be tight end one i i would probably say no i think jay sternberger it's his job to lose but that doesn't mean that he can't be outplayed for over the next few weeks and and win that job
0: and i'll say this too when when the general manager mentions you by name, very similar to when if the coach gives you a nickname, you're on the roster. If the general manager mentions you and says we have big plans for you, then they have big plans for you. Brian Gutekunst has mentioned how they view Sternberger as a matchup weapon, is the phrasing that he has used. So, Todd, we've talked about the other tight ends, and we've all obviously gone through some of that stuff. The one name we haven't mentioned so far is Josiah DeGuara, and he's really lined up all over the field. So, I think uh, to get this out of the way, I want to say this first and foremost: calling him a fullback is completely disingenuous. Uh, To say that is, is not fair uh, to Deguara. It's not really fair. The, The Packers don't even view him as a fullback, if you will, even if he does some of the stuff that Danny Vitale used to do. Something they also did with Danny Vitale was line him out wide. They would line him in line and do some stuff with that. The difference now is that Deguara is more equipped for plays like that. So as, as a, with the experience as a tight end, obviously. So what are your expectations for him in year one? I think, I think we're all in agreement that AJ Dillon's legs are probably the most likely rookie to make an impact in the first season, just because running back is the shortest learning curve, if you will. Um, tight end is a hard one to do, but it seems like they have a plan for Deguara so far. And, and as Matt LaFleur has said it, the first thing, and I'll never forget this and I'll keep harping on it. The first thing Matt LaFleur said after the draft when they asked him about Deguara was quote, Oh, I love Josiah. And he had this big smile on his face. So Matt LeFleur loves Josiah Deguara. There's no question about that, but what are your thoughts on him as a prospect and maybe what he can do as a, as a player here, as a rookie in this offense?
1: Well, not only does he love him, he has loved him. I mean, it was talked about, you know, last, last year during training camp, he was showing video of Deguara at Cincinnati uh, hustling on a play and, and chasing down an interception that was being returned against them. So, I mean, obviously they've, they've kind of viewed this guy, you know, as a, a guy that they wanted in the system for quite a while. Um, when you look at where they jumped him in the draft, I mean, they didn't have that fourth round pick and they weren't willing to wait until late in the fifth round to get him. That just shows the the respect that Lafleur has for the type of player that he is. Um, I think you're going to see a lot of, uh, work from him on play actions. He's going to be that guy that, that does kind of sneak out of the backfield and gets there. I don't see him with a lot of, you know, consistent numbers week in and week out, you know, five to seven touches, anything like that. I think he's going to be two or three grabs, but they're going to be, you know, a big play on second down to get momentum going our way of, you know, sneak out of the backfield or, or go in motion and slide out on, you know, a third and long and, and make a nice catch. Uh, I think we're going to see more of that from him rather than, you know, really just compiling a lot of a lot of uh, volume
0: yards. Yeah, nobody's going to confuse Josiah DeGuarra for Rob Gronkowski in his prime. I, I think that to expect that would be insane. But he's one of those essential role players, if you will, to where like that role specifically in this offense is, and again, I know he just said he's not a fullback, but think Kyle Juszczyk, In the Shanahan offense. And there were other players like the Austin Hooper had a lot of success in the Kyle Shanahan offense. And they used him in similar fashions when he was in Atlanta with Kyle Shanahan, when Shanahan was the offensive coordinator with Matt LaFleur. So I think that's one of those essential kind of role players that could be a big impact, but it's one of those, like he fits perfectly in the system. So he's an impact player for the Packers that he maybe necessarily wouldn't be somewhere else. Somebody else that maybe could be similar to that is Tyler Irvin. And this is something that I think has been interesting. Uh, Aaron Jones called him an offensive weapon. So I kind of like the old Denard Robinson. He's not a running back. He's not a receiver. He has O.W. next to his name in the position group. But Urban has essentially been, you know, we've been talking about him as on the roster. But as like a return specialist, and we didn't really care about his position necessarily. It was what running back, um, you know, what running back number is he or is he a gadget player? Like it doesn't really matter in that case. Him lining up as a receiver makes things a little more interesting if he's doing that position switch. Now, he's going to do some stuff in the backfield. He's going to do some stuff on, you know, gadget kind of plays and stuff like that. But if they call him a receiver, it could open another spot for someone like Dexter Williams or Patrick Taylor or, you know, some of those back half of the roster running backs. Or maybe it doesn't make Big B plug yours. It doesn't make Jamal Williams a, um, it doesn't make him a quiet you know, cut candidate. So, you know, that's something that we could kind of keep in mind on that as well. But Irvin has been interesting early on because it seems like the Packers don't have a shifty Randall Cobb, Julian Edelman, like slot receiver. And that's kind of what it looks like they've been trying to use him in the last couple of practices. So Todd, let's start with you here. What are your thoughts on Irvin potentially having a bigger role in this offense? And can he be maybe another one of those, playmakers pass catchers obviously they didn't add a traditional receiver but can he kind of make up for the difference that not picking a receiver early in the draft can be by just emphasizing his role a little bit more
1: I think he can be and I think he can be the guy kind of like we were thinking uh Ty Montgomery except now we have a coach creative enough to actually use that type of a player Um, and figure out how to use a guy. There
0: will be no slander of Mike McCarthy on my show. So that wasn't slander. That was, (laughs) that was
1: just a a bump to the floor being creative. I'm sorry. Uh, (laughs) But I, I think, you know, being able to use him a jet sweep, you know, he's one of those guys that if he's on the field and he's in motion, the defense is taking note. Uh, Why is he there and why is he moving and when's the ball going his way? And, and that's just going to open up opportunities for, for a lot of other guys on the field.
0: I agree. And Andy, uh, the play that clinched the NFC North last season, for example, was Tyler Irvin as a slot receiver. Now we didn't really think too much of it at the time, just because Irvin was kind of a new guy. And we really thought, I mean, I know this because we talked before, um, the draft started this past year. And I mean, we really did anticipate a lot of new offensive toys and weapons for the quarterback. Now they did add some players to the offense. It just wasn't quite the way that we anticipated. So that's how that worked. But if you saw that stuff on film last year from Irvin, it wasn't just that play either. They did stuff like that with Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams, having a bunch of different backs and stuff that they can trust. But I mean, how many different things and wrinkles can Matt LaFleur throw in with a player like Irvin that catches the attention of with all due respect to Geronimo Allison, nobody's respecting his speed. Irvin's got a little more juice than Geronimo Allison. So how many different things can LaFleur do with somebody like that?
3: Yeah, I don't want to, um, overhype anything after a couple of practices, but if there's one thing that I'm super excited about um, after, you know, a couple of practices, it's what I've seen out of Tyler Irvin and just some of the things that it seems like they kind of have in mind for him. I think he's going to be a factor within this offense. I think they're going to use a lot of, you know, jet sweeps, fake end arounds, fake jet sweeps. I think they're going to use a lot of orbits. I think they're going to do a lot of different things with him. All of that sounds great, but, you know, last year you go back to looking at him in the slot. And I think a lot of times it looked like he was a running back playing in the slot and you didn't have to maybe put a, a corner on him, you know, to be, you know, to maybe shut him down and, and feel, um, you know, you maybe you weren't scared by him if you put a, a linebacker or a safety on him, but his routes have looked incredibly crisp. You can tell that he's been working on his craft at that position He looks very, very natural playing that, you know, that kind of slot wide receiver position right now. And I think that is very exciting because if all of a sudden he is somebody who can get in and out of those routes, run maybe some of those Wes Welker type uh, slot routes where you know he's got kind of a two-way go, um, some option routes, kind of what they do with Christian McCaffrey a little bit in Carolina as well. Now that that's obviously high praise. I'm not saying that he's going to be CMC or uh, you know Wes Welker and his prime or Julian Edelman or things like that, but if he can get some of that down and be more of a threat as a receiver, which I think the early returns are incredibly encouraging on. then then all of that other stuff becomes that much more dangerous because you don't know if it's just going to be, you know, window dressing that he's in there for, or if he's in there as an actual weapon. So um, I am, I'm am very excited to see, I, I think, I think looking at what they've done with him so far, I, I don't know that it's an exaggeration to say that that very well may have played a role in why maybe they weren't more aggressive in getting one of those gadget type weapon receivers at some point, either in free agency or via the draft, because, it, it seems very apparent through the first week that they have some major plans for him.
0: Certainly looks that way. And, and Ryan, I mean, that's kind of the, the illusion of complexity stuff that we've talked about that Andy just kind of described there. So, I mean, overall, Paul Brettel always says, like Craig Council always says that he has getters uh, instead of pitchers, you know, kind of getting rid of the old starters and relievers kind of thing. He always says Matt LaFleur has pass catchers. So through you know three days of camp and what you've what we've been able to to glean, which I admittedly isn't very much, but has your opinion changed much on this group of pass catchers? Instead of it just essentially being, I believe it's Brennan Rupp that has this trademarked uh, Devontae Adams and the Funky Bunch.
2: Well, I think I think there is a a lot of talent in that room. I know the whole off season kind of narrative has been like the Packers need a wide receiver aside from Devonte Adams, but I, I think they have a pretty good one in Alan Lazard. And I think they have a pretty good developing prospect in Equinemius St. Brown. Um, I know he's coming back off the injury and, and I don't think he's had a bunch of splash plays from what I've seen uh, in the, in the kind of training camp notes, uh, especially what Andy's been providing us. But, you know, I, I think he is an explosive player that can Kind of slot into that wide receiver three position that's my hope i i was really high on equanimity saint brown coming out of the draft and i i think he's had a bit of bad luck you know similar to you know oren burks and you know just hard time getting started missed the whole year last year he got injured in winnipeg manitoba i was at that game so it's not our fault i'm not a bad luck charm guys i promise but yes you are uh, no, no, it's not. Ryan Schoberg, uh from Packers Worldwide, you know, always gives us a hard time about the field up here and the injuries that it caused. So I, I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trying to live that one
1: down guys. But
2: yeah, I, I think when we talk about Tyler Irvin, I actually think he fits really well as a slot receiver. I actually put it out on Twitter today that I would love to see that three running back package Irvin in the slot Adams out wide. And then you've got Dylan and Jones as split backs and, and just, the five eligible situations that you could create with that personnel package would be super fun. Um, I think the options are kind of limitless. I don't think we'll see that a whole ton, but as a kind of a gimmicky package to to throw at a team for an unscouted look, I I think that would be pretty cool to see.
0: I agree. And I I think that you know, There's there's a lot of different things they can do. Dusty Evelies talked about this a lot. He just wrote something today. Well, this wasn't about this specifically, but he wrote something over at Pack Report, and I think he told me he was working on some stuff for what they call the pony package, two running backs uh, on the field. And it was something that McCarthy kind of dabbled with it a little bit when he had Ty Montgomery and Randall Cobb. I remember some specific stuff where he had those guys both in the backfield at the same time. Uh, but really, LaFleur did a lot of it last year, especially after he had right. Irvin. And now I think what you can see is, They clearly trust Aaron Jones, yes, Bigby, Jamal Williams, A.J. Dillon, Tyler Irvin, and maybe another guy. And the thing about that package is if you have two backs on the field at the same time, you can't run that the whole game when there's only two guys. And they only had two guys that they trusted last year with Jamal and Aaron Jones. So it's really hard to do a lot of that two-back stuff. That's why I think you saw it more later in the year. Uh, as we're going through everything here. So guys, we've got a little bit of time left. Let's take a couple of questions that we've got going on here. And the first one I had was asking about Equinemius St. Brown. And it was, you know, did we talk about him yet? And we kind of have, but not really. And Ryan, I know you mentioned you really liked him. He's kind of the darling, you know, uh, of this camp, if you will. And The only thing that I have been giving as far as caution is just to remember, he hasn't played football since December 23rd of 2018. That's a really long time ago that he hasn't played in a live NFL game that actually matters. And when you go that long without playing football, it just takes some time. Now, at the same time, I do understand that the – that he had some nice moments as a rookie. He had the back shoulder fade against San Francisco. He had that really that whole game before he got concussed against the Jets. He had a crossing route that he turned into a huge gain against Detroit. I, I understand that. That being said, it's been a long time. I think what helps him in this regard is that there's not exactly somebody. I know Reggie Begelton had that big first day. Obviously, it's been a little quieter since. But like Andy mentioned, there's 80 guys on the field. Andy, I don't know how many of you guys, there are that are there as far as reporters go, but I know it's more limited than it is in years past. So a lot of people are kind of watching the same stuff, and you have less eyes to catch. Like, oh, over here, Rashawn Gary had a nice rep, and over here, Reggie Begelton won a one-on-one and stuff like that. So it is hard to say. I understand that, but I think what's helping him is he's not competing with Greg Jennings, Jordy Nelson, Donald Driver, James Jones to get on the field. So that's kind of my thought on that. Ryan, you gave your thoughts. Todd. i'm What are your thoughts on Equinemius St. Brown and trying to immerse his way back into this receiving core? Uh,
1: I think it'll be him and MVS kind of pushing for the the three and four spots. Uh, I'm standing alone in a room, apparently, as the only MVS believer out there. Uh, Oh, I I will
0: introduce you to Dusty Evely. Trust (laughs) me. I
1: I think, you know, last year with the injuries, he was kind of being looked at in camp as the, the number four guy. And then Aquamanius went, went down, uh, Geronimo Allison did pretty much nothing. And then Devante was dinged up for a while and that, you know, catapulted a guy in his second year from the the four to the one real quick. And, uh, I think, you know, he showed, he wasn't quite ready for that jump yet. Uh, but I think if you get him in those matchups, he's six, four and runs a four, what, four, three, four, four. I'll take that over a nickel or a dime every day of the week. Um, So I, I think that Equimanius is going to be in that same group with him, you know, trying to battle it out and, and see what those two can do. Uh, I, I've got a lot of uh, hope that the kid can come back from, you know, significant injury and, and get back on the field and be who he was without missing a beat. But like you said, it's been a long time since he's done it. So, uh, let's hope he's, you know, can get up to game speed.
0: The mental hurdle is positive. That stuff you mentioned, you know, Rogers, we talk about trust all the time and it's almost like a detraction of sorts from, from Rogers being able to play. But I mean, I understand some of that stuff, but ultimately, I mean, the fact that Rogers trusts equanimity St. Brown to be in the right spots, make the right plays, all that stuff. That's helpful. Uh, Here's a question from inner Bush. And it says, if AJ Dillon is super hype, I believe this means do we let Aaron Jones walk? Let's make it very clear. The Packers are not releasing Aaron Jones under any circumstance. But, Andy, I've kind of opined in the last few days that I think that the next contract extension given out is going to go to Aaron Jones. And I believe that because there's a little too much smoke in my estimation for there to not be fire. You go back to March, we all focused on the Austin Hooper portion of Rob Domovsky's report, but Domovsky did also report that there was mutual interest in an extension. There's since been confirming reports that they have at least been in contact of those things. I can't remember any time the Packers have started an extension discussion with a player. And granted, we don't know everything that happens, but I can't remember a time that they publicly had it reported that they were discussing an extension with one of their guys and then didn't end up getting that player locked up. So, I mean, what are your thoughts on the Aaron Jones situation? I think he's going to be a Packer for – Long-term for a running back can mean a lot of different things, but a long-term future, if you will.
3: Yeah, that would not surprise me. And I think, you know, some people saw the writing on the wall with, you know, A.J. Dillon and thinking that that could be the end for Aaron Jones. I don't necessarily think that that's the case. If you remember, Matt LaFleur was pretty adamant pre-draft that he wanted three running backs. You know, he wanted – A stable of backs and I think if you look at what Aaron Jones and AJ Dillon bring to the table I mean they complement each other so ridiculously well um, that I think there has to be some interest I mean this is not a situation where you know Aaron Jones is a a one-trick pony at running back and you know or, or even that he's had you know, a a ton of wear and tear for whatever reason. The first couple of years, Mike McCarthy didn't want to use uh, Aaron Jones a a whole heck of a lot. So, you know, he's got, you know, a lot of traction left on him. I I do think there's still uh, an under, you know, you know, uh, a belief, I guess, that, um, you know, I, that people don't want Aaron Jones, you know, having 25, 30 touches a game. Well, now he's in a situation where you can mix in A.J. Dillon and Jamal Williams, Tyler Irvin, do a bunch of different things, and he doesn't have to do that. So if you can extend him, you know, you know, four years past this year, something like that on a, a reasonable deal, I, I'm, you know, team note, you know, don't pay running backs all day long, but I also am very much on team pay mismatch players, you know? So when Christian McCaffrey got paid, I had no, you know, while I would never give a running back that amount of money, Um, you I'm not a GM, but if I were in that situation, I would never give a running back that amount of money. Christian McCaffrey to me was a million percent different because he's a wide receiver when he's lined up at wide receiver. That's not just a running back lining up at wide receiver. That's a wide receiver. Now is Aaron Jones to that level? No, but can you use him in a variety of different ways and, uh, you know, and get him involved in the passing game, the screen game, you know, check downs, you know, power runs, zone runs, whatever you want to do. You know, he has a lot of versatility there and not a lot of wear. So, I'm all on board with them giving him a semi-reasonable contract. I think if they overpay, I think they do need to be careful there, especially just after spending a second-round pick on a running back. But um, it would not surprise me to go back to your comments if, if you were the next one done for a lot of the reasons that you just mentioned.
0: Well, I want to make sure that if this does happen, I do want credit as I called it. <laughs> So (laughs) if if we're going back to the middle school rules, I I don't, I think that gets me like first in line at the lunch line or something like that. I'm not sure. So we'll do one more guys before we can wrap up. And Aaron wants to know who is the emerging star this year, also known as this year's Alan Lazard. So somebody that becomes a bigger contributor. So Ryan, give me 30 seconds or less on who you think that person is.
2: (laughs) Ooh, it's a good question. I think it's going to be Rashawn Gary. Um, I think the way that Mike Pettin plans to use Rashawn Gary with uh, Zadarius Smith and Preston Smith on the field at the same time, it's going to free him up. You know, when, when you've got Kenny Clark, Z and Preston, who are you going to double team? And it's, and, and then you throw in maybe Rashawn Gary into that mix inside, outside. I mean, I think the possibilities are really, really cool there. And he looks amazing coming out of camp. Everything I'm hearing is that he is super active. He, he looks so much leaner, but apparently he's five pounds heavier. So I don't know if he put on a ton of muscle mass, but you know he has put in a lot of work over the offseason. I, I, I see him as a really hungry guy, and I think there is going to be a ton of opportunity for him in this defense. So I, I look to him to kind of get to that eight sack kind of mark, which would put him into a a fairly high
0: contributing role for that Packers defense. Yeah. The Packers, the organization would be thrilled with something like that. I can tell you because I don't know if I've ever seen a a disc. I'll put it this way. Since he's here, I could say this Andy's response when the Packers picked Rashawn Gary, and I will never forget this was every word had a dot after it. You have got to be freaking kidding me is what it said. Nobody well, nobody that I saw was super thrilled with the Packers selecting Rashawn Gary. And then you listen to the organization talk about him and everybody raves about this dude. Mike Smith said he ran around the building when the Packers picked him, said he had him as the number one edge prospect. That's above Nick Bosa. Nick Bosa is really good guys. I mean, that's, that's a, an interesting thing to say. So I, I do think the dynamic there is interesting between the fans and I don't want to call us amateurs, but you know, pundits, if you will, thought on a player versus an organization's thought on a player. I don't know if I've ever seen this big of a disconnect. So Rashawn Gary, I can tell you if the Packers are right on him, that's the key that can really unlock this entire defense just because he really is. If Mike Pettin could build a edge player in a lab, it's Rashawn Gary and that it works perfectly that way. So Todd, who's your breakout star emerging star this year?
1: Uh, I'm going to jump in before Andy takes him and say it's Bobby Tanyan. Um, <laughs> just, you know, kind of like they mentioned, he, he's got a different look to him this year coming in. Um, and I think them, you know, releasing James Looney just shows that they do trust that that Tanyan can be that blocking tight end behind Mercedes Lewis um, and not just the the receiver that everyone else has kind of seen him at, as over the last few years. So giving him that ability to do both is is going to give him you know a ton of snaps a lot of reps and a lot of opportunities to make those plays
0: okay and andy you've got you know a little time left i'll give you the the last draw here who's your emerging player for for the team this year
3: Yeah, so in my bold predictions, uh, last week I said Kingsley Kiki, and I still expect him to be kind of a breakout player along the defensive line after the first few days of camp. As I mentioned earlier, uh, Tyler Irvin has certainly been somebody that's been standing out, but uh, I'm not going to totally answer this question, but I want to bounce something that you guys were talking about a little bit earlier, you know, kind of Jacob, I guess you more specifically and that's all we've, how many guys have we talked about on offense today? Right. So we talked about AJ Dillon, Jamal Williams, Aaron Jones, Tyler Irvin at running back. Right. So we talked about MVS EQ. Uh, we talked about a little bit about Alan Lazard at wide receiver. Um, you know, there's still a, a Jay Kummer Reggie Bagleton. We talked about all the different tight ends. I think that this is, going to be a season where we really see Matt LaFleur's vision come into existence and I've seen it already in a couple of days of practice and and above and beyond that This is a team where you have a little bit of a maestro at Aaron Rodgers at quarterback. You've got a dynamic running back in Aaron Jones. You have a dynamic receiver in Devontae Adams. And beyond that, we all wanted to see this next big superstar wide receiver to maybe take some of the pressure off of Adams or, you know, some of these different things. And I think instead of necessarily going in that direction, I think Green Bay has built themselves a plethora of weapons that Matt Lafleur can use. out. There's always going to be Aaron Jones. There's always going to be Aaron Rodgers. There's always going to be Devonte Adams um, playing those main roles. But at every other position, what what flavor do you want on this specific play? You want a speed receiver, I'll give you MBS. You want a tall slot receiver, I'll give you EQ. You want a gadget player, I'll give you Tyler Irvin. You want a power back? I'll give you AJ Dillon. You want a speed back? I'll give you Aaron Jones. You want they have you want a pass protecting back, you know, because you want to be able to pick up the blitz, I'll give you Jamal Williams. You want a you do it, you know, all utility, you know, player, you've got Josiah DeGuara. You know, the more receiving tight end, you've got um Jay Sternberger, the blocking tight end, you You've got Mercedes Lewis. He has everything else. Now, is it this one alpha player that, you know, outside of Jones and Rogers and Adams? It's not, but he has everything in spades that he wants to be able to use. And if there's one takeaway that I have after the first few days, it's that he has all of those different ingredients. And now Matt LaFleur gets to cook with all of those different things. And that's what I'm excited for in offense. So maybe it's not a player, but I'm going to answer your question with saying it's, it's Matt LaFleur.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. I, I think that you know, something that we've, we we touched on the the pass catchers thing earlier, and I, I, we've kind of talked about it post draft as well a little bit is that you know the offense will maybe it won't be, maybe it won't be better, maybe it won't work. I don't know. You know, I'm not. This is kind of you know Matt Lafleur's gig, and maybe it won't be better. I don't know if that's the case. But what I do know is that the offense just it will look different. And we're used to, you know, we watched, uh, granted, all of us, we were all here. We all watched it happen. Mike McCarthy was the Packers coach for 12 years. That's a long time. And you get used to thinking that in order for an offense to be great, that's what it has to look like. And five wide receiver, the perfect pack. I've got the magazine sitting around here somewhere of all those dudes on the front page with Aaron Rodgers. And really, this is going to be different. And from the standpoint of, yes, they're going to feature Aaron Jones. Yes, they're going to feature Devontae Adams. But what did we all talk about last year when Adams was hurt? Everybody says, oh, the offense was better when Adams was out, which that was nonsense. But the offense did have four really good games without Adams on the field. Why? Because they were able to kind of spread the ball around. They did feature Aaron Jones, but it wasn't a a force feed type of situation or anything like that. I understand get the ball to your best players and all that stuff, but I really do. I I like that point that, that Andy makes there of Matt LaFleur maybe being the star, if you will, of the show and trying to find that balance in his offense and that vision of what, what he, what he has as the vision for this offense, what the Packers can do well. And Aaron Rod with someone like Aaron Rodgers able to execute it. If he fully buys in and we have no reason to believe that he won't, I think that that's a potential special opportunity for that. So if his choice is Matt LaFleur, I will be quick and I will say Jay Sternberger. Uh, I've been on that train for, for a really long time. Uh, Really when they drafted him, uh, even before that I had him ranked. So the two Iowa kids were kind of the consensus top two. I had that. I had Jay Sternberger rated as my third tight end above Irv Smith Jr. So That was, you know, kind of the consensus third tight end. And I thought Sternberger made for a little bit better of a prospect. So now we have a rivalry to watch with him and the Vikings. So we'll be able to see if that happens. Guys, thanks for coming on tonight. I appreciate you joining me. Uh, It's been a lot of fun talking about that. You can follow me. I'm on Twitter at Jacob Weston. Or if you can follow Andy, you'll definitely want to do that as practice. Andy, are you at practice the rest of the week? That's the goal. That's the goal. Okay, so Andy will be at practice the rest of the weekend. I do miss the Scotty Sports handle a little bit. Sometimes I check it and realize Thank it's still know. there, but I might you the sure. only one. <laughs> okay, that's fair. I've got Todd Varney. We've got at the Todd V, and he'll be on Lombardi's Bar tomorrow night and on Saturday with Ethan Bacon, so you definitely want to catch that. And Ryan Bowman at Ryan Bowman PWW, and that's Packers Worldwide. They're definitely friends of ours here on the show, guys. Check out our, on the bottom here, or Twitter at game on WI and subscribe to our YouTube channel. I've seen a lot of you coming through here. So I appreciate that. Thank you to everyone that has come through the chat and talked with us. And then finally, I'm going to do this on every show until we do it, but we have the Kenny Clark autographed giveaway and I keep it close by because I feel like he's protecting me, but I just have an autographed winner, Jacob.
3: Or no, is this, where I I won?
0: Oh, this is where I tell Andy that he won. Uh, I feel like people might think that's rigged, but uh, <laughs> you know, Hey, we'll just kind of keep that a secret, but I have an autographed photo of Kenny Clark. All you need to do follow the Twitter account, And go to that has directions on there, obviously, but you can just find out, follow the Twitter account, and answer the question who has more rushing yards in 2020, Aaron Jones or AJ Dillon? And that'll give you an entry to win. Retweeting the tweet gives you an extra entry, and we've had quite a few of those. Aaron has kept count of those, so um, we'll kind of figure all that out. But the announcement for the winner is Saturday. Uh, noon central time. Well, we close everything at noon central time. We'll decide when we want to announce everything, but I appreciate you guys coming by. Uh, Thank you guys for listening. I appreciate your time and we will uh, talk again soon. Go pack, everybody. Go pack, go.
1: Go pack, go.